Good morning. My name's Tim. I'm an elder here at Highland. And uh, as always, I just want to thank Jason. Some of you might be thinking, oh, I brought a visitor and there's a speaker and it's not Jason. So anyway, but, uh, Jason makes room. Um, he takes a little break sometimes. He, uh, he likes to operate as a team and, I, and we really appreciate that. We got some good guys who get to do this from time to time. So thank you, Jason. In the past weeks, we've been studying uh, Jesus' letters to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. And uh, in Jesus' letter to the church at Ephesus, he challenges them because they're doing pretty good, um, but they're loveless. And to Smyrna, he encourages them because they're a persecuted church. Smyrna's deep into it. Pergamon, he addresses a church facing persecution, yet they were accommodating and, and, uh, and they were accommodating a false teacher and false teaching. And to Thyatira, he challenges them because they excelled at loving but allowed too much compromise. But Jesus' word to the church at Sardis summons a sleeping church awake. <clears throat> now, I'll tell you an interesting story. Uh, when we first looked at these dates and we were choosing which one would take which Sunday, et cetera, et cetera, uh, we saw that we were doing Revelation in the churches. And uh, Joel, uh, I, me and Joel had the opposite Sundays. So Joel had Sardis this week and I had Ephesus. But I looked at my calendar and I thought I had something going on. So I said, I can't do it that weekend. I'll switch with you. And I remember Joel saying, yeah, good, because who knows anything about Sardis? And, um, and then I started digging into Sardis and I found out exactly what God was doing because he always does this to me. I don't know about you, but he's, he's always working his way through and going, oh, you, you want to do this, right? Well, let me, let me get you straightened out here. So he put me on Sardis because I know Sardis exactly. I, I am Sardis. I understand them and so this morning, I, I was thinking about Joel and the thought that he couldn't probably do Sardis very well because he's not old and jaded and he's hard, his heart's not hard and he's, he's not cynical. Um, so anyway, Joel, congratulations on Ephesus. Great job. And um, here we go with Sardis. Let's look at Revelation chapter three, starting in verse one. Write this letter to the angels of the church in Sardis. This is the message from the one who has the sevenfold spirit of God and the seven stars. I know all the things you do and that you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what little remains, for even what is left is almost dead. I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. Go back to what you heard and believed at first. Hold it firmly. Repent and turn to me again. If you don't wake up, I will come to you suddenly as an unexpected thief. Yet there are some in the church in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes with evil. They will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. All who are victorious will be clothed in white, and I will never erase their names from the book of life, but I will announce before my Father and his angels that they are mine. Anyone 
with ears to hear, must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, Lord. Um, And in this series, an opportunity to hear uh, letters that you would write to each of our hearts. And Lord, uh, Father, we pray that your word would cut, uh, cut like a two-edged sword this morning, Father. And that you would reveal our hearts. And that you would, uh, Lord, stand us back up. And Father, we thank you for your mercy and your uh, willingness to allow us to repent. In Jesus' name, amen. The church at Sardis was the church of the walking dead. And the message from Jesus was wake up and repent. For you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. So let's look at a little bit of the history of this church. Sardis is the fifth of the seven churches that Jesus writes to. Um, about 1,200 years before Christ, this city had a prominent place um, in, the, in the world and the ancient capital um, of the Lydian kingdom. And Lydia, if you put up that map again, you'll see Lydia was pretty much that whole section from the tip down there below, kind of a straight line up. Um, all of those churches that are listed are inside that, that kingdom, that former Lydian kingdom. The kingdom was prosperous and well-known. They had mastered the art of purifying silver and gold, and their coins were trusted currency throughout the entire world. They were known everywhere. Located in Asia Minor or present-day Turkey, it is situated in the middle of the Hermos Valley at the foot of a mountain called Timolus, a thriving and rich city that had a large bathhouse and gymnasium complex and one of the largest synagogues of that, that time outside of Israel. In its history, the city was known for its military strength. And by the way, tomorrow we celebrate our veterans. And if there's a veteran in the house, would you raise your hand or stand up? And we want to thank you guys for your service. Um, Yeah. Thank you very much. Um, Military strength was part of what the city was known for. Its location uh, was on an important highway that led to the interior, from the interior to the Aegean Sea, out to the coast, and its command was a wide, fertile plain. And the city was fortified, and it actually rose up off the valley floor 1,500 feet. Can you imagine trying to conquer or capture or attack a fortress that was 150 stories high to the top of the wall? That's basically where this place was, on top of the world. So, naturally, they considered themselves unconquerable. Because of the location and the fortification of the city. And yet, interestingly, over the centuries, they were conquered about four times. And each time in the same way. 
There was one wall that was so steep and so high that it was considered inaccessible and impossible to climb. So they didn't even put a watchman on that side of the city. They, they didn't watch that wall. And four times over about 1,200 years, they were uh, conquered by people who were willing to climb that wall. In, in one case, uh, a, Greek, uh, um, a Greek army faced them and had put a siege on the uh, city. The king went to sleep thinking everything was fine. Um, but the, the Greeks hired a climber, a special climber who went up over the wall and I guess basically went up to the front door and unlocked it or something and they all came in. So when the King Croesus woke up the next morning, he found out that everyone was speaking Greek and there were, uh, uh, there were falafels in the, uh, on the breakfast menu. So anyway, but, but what I wanted you to know or, or, or kind of get the picture of is this is a city that kind of has a reputation for being um, impregnable, unconquerable, you know, so they kind of, they're relaxed, they're not worried. Each time this wall was left unobserved, even in a siege, each time it was scaled by the enemy. I wonder if after, the, after uh, a conquering, I wonder if the newspaper would read, wake up, hello, it's that wall again. We never learn our lesson. Jesus uh, was writing to the church 500 years later. And I wonder if they saw Jesus climbing that wall when he said, I will come to you like a thief in the night. Just one quiet guy coming up over the wall. Because even though that, that this letter at the time was, uh, the city was in decline, the church at Sardis wasn't facing persecution. They weren't uh, facing hard times. It was just pre- pretty much pretty good. They were safe and prosperous, maybe even a little soft. I don't know about you, but it kind of sounds like someplace I know. When I was young, they used to teach on Revelation, and we were taught that, uh, that America was the great place where the, where the woman would escape to, that America was the place, the safe place. You know, I think there's a reason why the persecuted church in the world prays for the church in America. Because we don't understand persecution. We haven't had our muscles strengthened. We haven't, uh, we haven't had to fight very much. Remember what Jesus said. You have a reputation for being alive. But you are dead. So this church had it going on. They probably had a great worship band. Probably had good numbers on Sunday. Probably had big offerings. Maybe everything was about reputation. Everything was about looking good and not looking bad. Now think about that. That pretty much sums us up. 
And if you don't fall into that place, um, um, that's fine. But there's a lot of people in this room who probably do. We care about looking good and not looking bad. And that sets up a lot of what we do in life, a lot of the way we do things. A lot. I mean, the reason we choose the car we drive, we want to look good and not bad. Like the generations before them, perhaps they weren't watching their wall either. This church... They had taken on the attributes of the community of Sardis. They had taken, uh, they, had, they were impregnable, maybe. They thought they were undefeatable. They were, they had it going on. They were looking good. Everything was fine. And so Jesus writes them a letter and says, you're dead. How many of you know that probably went over like a lead balloon when they were all standing around the letter and somebody's reading you? Wake up, he says. Revelation 3, 2. Strengthen what little remains. For even what is left is almost dead. I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. You know, the letters to the churches were directed at specific places and specific people. Yet, we find a message in each of those letters that applies or can apply in our own lives in one season or another. And if you look at each word that Jesus shared with each of these churches, you probably have found a place in your life where you've been there. So maybe you're not all about looking good and not looking bad right now. But that's really what this is all about. And Jesus is after one thing. He doesn't care how you look. He doesn't care what you drive. He doesn't care about those things. He wants your heart. The church at Sardis had a reputation to uphold. They looked good. It's the same for many of us. In fact, it's just the spirit of the Pharisee. Years ago, I did a, uh, a study at a church I was at. Um, we did 12 weeks on a book called 12 Steps for the Recovering Pharisee Like Me. And we walked through all of that. Basically, we're Pharisees. That's where our heart goes. We judge people all the time. We always want to make sure we look better than the next guy. And if we do, then we feel like we're doing something right. I gave out a little card at the end to make, uh, make you a member of the Recovering Pharisee Club. Because everybody wants to look good and not look bad, right? It reminds me of uh, Isaiah 29, 13. Here's what God says about that. These people say they are mine. Let's read that one again. These people say they are mine. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. 
And their worship of me is nothing but man-made rules learned by rote. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And that thing about worship, have you ever paid attention to the songs we sing? Have you ever caught yourself wondering if you just lied singing that last line? Come on now. Lord, give me a heart abandoned ever after you alone. Gold and silver, you can take it. All I want is you, my Lord. I'll tell you a secret. When I sing that song, that second line, I go, gold and silver. All I want is you alone. Now, of course, the things that we sing and the prayers that we pray are supposed to be things that move us in the right direction. I get that. But man, sometimes the things we sing make a liar out of all of us, and it makes me nervous. If God can take your gold and silver, how come you worry about it so much? How come you hold on to it so tight? If God can take your gold and silver, how come you part with it so reluctantly? Everybody be humming that verse from now on, maybe, but anyway. The issue with Sardis, the church of the walking dead, is the same issue that we have. It's all about our hearts. Several years ago, I built one of those shed kits from Lowe's to hold some of my tools and my riding lawnmower in my backyard. It was a nice little package, big double doors that swing out wide. Mm, That's an ugly picture. A window, a nice pitched roof. I put some leftover shingles from my house on it and it blended in perfectly. It looked like it matched and was built by the builder. Now, a little footnote on this picture you're looking at. I took it yesterday as the sun was going down. And literally, if I'd had Photoshop at home, I would have cleaned this sucker up. Because I care about looking good and not looking bad. And I can see there's a little mold growing on it. And there's a little thing. Maybe it needs a little be be cleaned up or maybe even repainted. The Lord has a way. So the Lord used this little shed to deal with a heart issue in me, and I wrote about it in a blog that I write um, called It Was On My Mind dot blog. I'll give you a minute to write that down if you like. <clears throat> Blogs are funny. Um, I write on my blog because I need to get stuff out, not because I care whether you read it or not. But every time my phone dings and I see that somebody read it, I'm like, hey, there we go. Here we go again. So I'm always looking to see if I win or lose on there. So anyway, silly, isn't it? So I'm going to read a section of this post. The kit 
had come with what my dad would call a skim coat on it. A thin coat of paint that was sort of an ivory or peach color and used as a primer for the shed siding. As I began to cover that original coat with the gray paint, I was really pleased with how it looked. How the grays were matching everything and looked neat and even designed for my yard. But I noticed that I wasn't going to have enough of that gray paint to cover the entire shed. So in the final result, I got the side that faces the driveway painted and the side that faces the yard finished. But I ran out of paint for the other two sides. One of those sides was between the shed and the playhouse facing the backwoods in our yard. And the other, of course, was the back of the shed that faced the, the, the neighbor's house up against some bushes, trees that were planted there. As I cleaned up the brushes and put away the paint buckets, I thought I'd go down to Ace Hardware and get some paint this week and finish it up. That was three years ago. Not too many months after that paint dried, I was out working in my yard one day, and as I leaned my wheelbarrow, which is that one, up against the shed, I looked at the siding. There was still nothing but a light coat of, uh, or a skim coat, and the wood trim was bare with no finish, and near the roof line, it was turning gray and weathered. And that was when I heard that still, small voice. Y'all got a still, small voice in you? You know when God speaks that quiet little, hey, knucklehead, listen up. Maybe God don't call you knucklehead, I don't know. Here's what that still, small voice said to me. Psst, isn't this just like your life? neatly put together on the sides that people can see and left undone on the sides that don't matter. Hmm. You see, I can live with two unpainted sides of my shed as long as you can only see the painted signs. Don't get me wrong here. It's not that I don't think those two sides should be painted. It's not even that I'm trying to hide something. Maybe it seems lazy to you or maybe it reminds you of a shed in your life. But on a spiritual level, I know it's a bit like the Pharisees who love to be seen and respected, yet... As Jesus said in Matthew 23, be careful about following them. They talk a good line, they don't, but they don't live it. They don't take it into their hearts and live it out in their behavior. It's all spit and polish veneer. And in Luke 12, Jesus expands on that message when he says, Watch yourselves carefully so you don't get contaminated with the Pharisee yeast, Pharisee phoniness. You can't keep your true self hidden forever. Before long, 
you'll be exposed. You can't hide behind a religious mask forever. Sooner or later, that mask is going to slip and your true face will be known. You can't whisper one thing in private and preach the opposite in public. The days coming when those whisperers will be repeated all over town. One version says, shouted from the rooftops. Wow. All right, I'm still reading from the blog, but just so you know, I have painted both sides of that, or all four sides now, okay? I want you to know I'm looking good here. So I haven't painted the sides of that shed yet. Oh, I'll get around to it someday. I hope, but for now, it's a gentle reminder to me and a nudge from a loving father who wants me to learn to be transparent and honest and open with others, with my family, and most importantly, with me and with him. Because if I'm honest, I'll admit that I care more about what you think about me than I do about what God knows about me. And that's just messed up. That's just messed up. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. But it's so true. Isn't it so true? I care more about what you think about me than what God knows about me. Because if I can make you think I'm doing pretty well. I love, you remember that commercial? I, I used to love this commercial. That guy riding his lawnmower and he's got a, He's got a couple of cars in the driveway and a beautiful house and a bunch of kids running around and, and they say, how does Dave do it? And he looks at the camera and says, I'm in debt up to my eyeballs. <laughs> he's, he's given the truth about what he looks like. Now you drive by that house and you think, look at that guy. He's got it going on. He's got nice cars. He's got a beautiful home. He's just in debt up to his eyeballs. I love that. So let's take apart what Jesus was offering Sardis and consider it closely for our own selves. Back to Revelation 3, verse 1. I know all the things you do and that you have this reputation for being alive, but you are dead. You know, you may be uh, living a lie if you care more about reputation, what others think, more than you do what God knows. And believe me, he knows. There's no hiding. Remember back in Luke 12, he says, you can't whisper one thing in private and preach the opposite in public. The days coming when those whispers will be repeated all over town. If you're living a lie and if you care more about reputation, there's hope for you though. Jesus says, wake up. Jesus didn't leave Sardis dead in this passage. He went on to say, wake up. Chapter three, verse two, wake up, strengthen what little remains 
For even what is left is almost dead. I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. I think that might be an understatement. I think that was kind of tongue-in-cheek from Jesus. I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. But wake up. Even if you're living a lie, he still offers hope. He offers a wake-up call before all hope is lost. Ephesians 5 verse 10 says, carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Have you ever done that? You get up in the morning and sit down at the table and go, I think today I will carefully consider what pleases the Lord. If you haven't done that lately, maybe you should try that tomorrow because it could change your life. Take no part in worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It is shameful even to talk about the things that the ungodly people do in secret. But their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. The light makes everything visible. This is why it said, Awake, O sleeper, rise up from the dead, and Christ will give you light. One version says, and Christ will shine on you like the morning star. Even if you're living a lie, there's still hope. He offers a wake-up call. And remember, we're talking about degrees here. You You may not have a drinking problem. You may not be beating your wife. You may not uh, steal from people. You may not do any of those things, and yet you still might be dead. Because it's a heart issue, and he wants your heart. Revelations 3.3, Jesus says, Go back to what you heard and believed at first. Hold to it firmly. Repent and turn to me again. If you don't wake up, I will come to you as suddenly as an unexpected thief. Even if you're living a lie and he offers mercy for those that repent. It doesn't matter what you've been doing or what you are doing. He offers mercy. And offers a place of repentance. Go back and hold firmly to what you first believed. You remember when you first became a Christian? Remember that, remember that time God answered all your prayers? Every time you opened the Bible, things just went wham! Wow, that's just fantastic. You were irritating to everybody that you knew that were older Christians because they were just jealous of that fresh feeling, that excitement, that, that wonder about the awe of God. Go back and hold firmly to what you first believed. David teaches us how to pray a prayer for mercy and repentance 
in Psalm 51. If you don't know what to say, if you need a prayer to pray, here it is. Psalm 51, starting in verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. This is the guy that was the man after God's own heart. This is the guy who saw a chick on a roof and had his best, one of his friends killed so he could have her. You want to talk about things haunting your dreams. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone I have sinned. And I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say. And your judgment against me is just. There is a heart broken. There's a heart laid out before God. There's a heart honest about the things that that he's done. And on in verse 12, he says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And make me willing to obey you. And then I will teach your ways to rebels. And they will return to you. Oh my gosh. There is so much in that. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Here's a a good prayer. Make me willing to obey you, Lord. If you heard somebody pray that, your head would snap up. You'd be going, what? What are you talking about? But, But it's a hard issue. Are you willing to obey And then I will teach your ways to my friends, the other rebels in the room. And they will return to you. All of my Christian walk, and it is long, getting long, long, long. All of my life, this has been the prayer that takes me back to reality. It's the, the stopping point. It's the place of repentance. It's the point where you go back to the things that you knew at first. Because that was where the truth was. That was where God got your heart in the first place. That's where he woke you up the first time. The problem is we have a tendency to go to sleep. We have a tendency to live on our successes. We have a tendency to uh, worry only about what we look like and try not to look bad. King David was willing to write songs that people sang 
about his iniquities and transgressions. Hmm. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey. And then I'll teach your ways to rebels. Maybe you had an experience with God sometime in your life. Maybe things haven't worked out the way you thought they should. Maybe your heart has grown cold. Maybe you don't even know what you believe anymore. The things that have happened to you do not change who God is. The people who have insulted you so that you don't go there anymore have not changed who God is. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. Finally, Jesus goes on to mention those in Sardis who are still alive. There were three of them, probably. I don't know. Maybe there's some in here. If I ask for you to raise your hand, though, well, I might make you a liar. Here's what he says. Yet there are some in the church at Sardis who have not soiled their clothes with evil. You get that picture, soiling your clothes? Do you, know, you, know where my, you know where I go when I think about that? I raised three boys. I know what skid marks are like. When you soil your clothes, that is disgusting. And when you open the laundry basket and that's what you find, that's like, oh my goodness. White robes soiled with evil. But they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. All who are victorious will be clothed in white. I will never erase their names from the book of life, but I will announce before my father and his angels that they are mine. Can you imagine that moment when Jesus puts his arm around you and says, this one's mine. Remember that sort of cheesy song, This One's With Me? Um, it was pretty cool. I mean, the thought process was good. Um, because who feels worthy? Who's going to be able to stand? Who's going to make it for crying out loud? Sometimes when I read the scripture and I look really at what God is upset with or worried about, man, if it wasn't for his mercy, who among us could stand before him. Jude, last verse says, now to him who is able to keep me from falling and to make me stand in his presence. To the only God, my savior. Man. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. So Nate and the band, y'all come on back. And uh, what about your heart this morning? Are you a member of the Church of the Walking Dead? 
Do you only care about looking good and not looking bad? Do you feel pretty good when people around you think you're pretty cool or that you got it going on? Is it more about your reputation than what's really going on inside? Maybe it's time to stop caring so much about what other people think and start caring a lot about what God knows. Now listen, I am, there's a reason God asked me to share this Sunday. This is me. I'm, I'm not right there with you. I am right there with you. Maybe it's time to start caring so much about what other people think and start caring a lot more about what God really knows. So this morning, we're gonna move into communion. And you know, Paul says, you should examine yourself. You shouldn't drink this cup or take this bread unworthy. It has consequences. Every time I stand before that cup, I ask the Lord to forgive me anew. I get saved right there that moment. So let's examine our hearts this morning before we move into communion. This front area is open if you want to come do some business with God. If you don't care what other people think. You can come down here and do business with the living God. I'll be over here where, uh, with Jason. And um, again, um, it's really important that we let go, that we, that we open up, that we're honest, not, not necessarily to other people, that we're honest to God and to ourselves. And that we're willing to say, restore unto me the joy. I'll take it again, Lord. I need it every day. Father, we just pray that you, Lord, would wake us up. That you would uh, help restore the things that are dying and dead. the, The things that we once believed that we're unsure of. God, shore us up again. Lord, take us out of the church of the walking dead and back into freedom and liberty and life in you. And Father, we're thankful that no matter what place we're in, no matter how far we've fallen, no matter how deep we've gone, you've always got a hand out to pull us back up into your arms and your kingdom through your mercy and your love. We thank you for that in Jesus' name, amen.